You're listening to Meanwhile, episode 19. In this episode, we jam out about the personal and workplace challenges of transitioning from being an individual contributor to being a manager. A fulfilling switch for some, it's also typically a major challenge. We try to talk about that switch in real terms, highlighting the benefits, a few beware signs, and go over some tips for making this transition more smoothly. Let's get to it. Hello, world, and hello, Michael Terrell. This is Michael Melcher from the East Coast of the United States at the end of summer, early fall, getting ready to make things happen. Yeehaw, man. I'm out here. San Francisco, per usual. Good to be with you. So um, we work in this space called coaching, and for branding purposes, we will often say leadership coaching. And you'll notice the word leadership showing up everywhere. Um, it's a real thing, and it's also kind of a thing people just use because it sounds good. But today, we're not going to be talking about leadership. <laughs> we're going to talk about something that seems very practical and not quite as glamorous as leadership yet, which is really essential, which is management, and in particular, how to be a good manager, and more particularly, how to make this interesting transition from what's called an individual contributor to being a manager. And as we'll talk about today, this is something that people often kind of fall into and then they suffer and they make other people suffer because they don't quite know what's going on. So we're going to try to provide you with some ideas and insights and stories and tips uh, so that you don't have to suffer and hurt other people more than necessary. Miguel Terrell, I think you have a little episode to start us off. Yes. I was sitting with one of my clients recently and we were talking about this topic. He had a really interesting take on it where he's been working on his startup for the last five or six years. And he said, you know, so many of our employees we notice in the early days, you know, they're smart, hungry, career oriented people. And they were trying to as quickly as possible go from their individual contributor, you know, engineering role, sales role, whatever it was, and trying to advance into just becoming a manager, you know, leading and managing other people as quickly as possible. And what he realized is over time, you were getting people in these roles who were not good fits whatsoever. They didn't have the requisite skills, or they weren't willing to invest the time and energy in doing the training and finding mentors uh, to build those skills. And so as a result, they had teams across the organization as they grew that were really suffering and underperforming and you know massive complaints about the way the teams were working. And so what they've started to do over the last few years, and he says, has really made a big shift in the culture around people wanting to transition into being a manager is that they've started to paint being a manager as actually a, a major challenge. And in fact, he says they go, as, they go so far as to try to dissuade people from doing it. They give them every reason to get off of the highway on the path to management. And part of that has been continuing to show ways that people can grow and advance as individual contributors within the organization. But part of it has also just been really being real about the massive career shift that happens for a lot of people when they go from being that individual contributor to managing other humans and how it's oftentimes a shift, as we've talked about before, and sort of the learning cycle from feeling like you're sort of killing it every day and in your you're in your conscious and unconscious competence as a android coder to all of a sudden having a role where you are bam confronted immediately with 
your unconscious incompetence in terms of your abilities as a listener or ability to ask effective questions or to let people fail on their own without having to come in and fix it for them. So it's just a really interesting frame on this. Let's look at this as actually a massive challenge. And there are all sorts of reasons maybe you don't want to become a manager despite how smart and capable you are because dude or dudette, it's a <laughs> career change. It's a completely different thing than what you've been doing for the past five, 10 years of your career. Okay, I like that. Let's start with all the reasons you should not be a manager and why it's going to be terrible for you. Reason number one is you're going to have to fire people yeah. because a lot of people don't perform well and have bad attitudes or are incompetent. And when you're a manager, you have to be the person to get rid of them. And this is very challenging because when you fire somebody, it probably requires you to assess whether you're really a nice person. And I think most of us just want to seem nice all the time. So that's going to happen. And it's, uh, as everyone who's fired anybody has known, it can be the hardest thing you ever do as a boss and kind of emotionally devastating, even when you're the one doing the firing and not getting fired. What are some other reasons? Another reason to not be a manager is you'll have to tolerate people's failures and their own learning, which for our hyper smart, hyper competitive, high achieving employees can be a real difficult thing to sit through. You know, if I have a, an early employee, it's their first time doing something. And I know that that thing they're trying to do is something I could do in half the time and twice as well. I have to find a way to actually enable them to go through the growing pains that I once went through and tolerate my own emotional frustration, stress in watching that happen. That can be super hard for a lot of people. Another reason to question whether you should be a manager is that it's not just you evaluating other people. Other people are going to evaluate you. They'll notice your flaws uh, they'll point them out, sometimes directly to you, sometimes in back channels. All of the things you're not really good at are going to be fully on view to other people. Oh, and by the way, if you're a manager, you're going to be evaluated for those things because that's part of your own performance evaluation and compensation, which is how well can you deal with these things. Yeah. Another thing that I, a lot of the managers I talk to find difficult is being able to effectively set expectations for people around their career trajectories. You know, that sort of scary moment when a direct report comes and says, hey, could we talk about my career here? And feeling like, oh, crap, do I have to give them a promotion immediately or they're going to leave? Or do they, do they need more money tomorrow? Otherwise, this is going to become combustible and they're going to become cancerous to the team, right? Or oh, they always want something uh, more out of this. And I don't know if I can give this to them. So finding ways to actually support and nurture people's careers while not over-promising uh, or giving into our own discomfort, or like you said, desire to be the, the nice guy or the uber supportive person, which means I have to give them everything they want. Now, all of a sudden, uh, I'm in these conversations where I sort of feel like my back's against the wall sometimes, and that's uncomfortable. It's another reason people struggle, in first, particularly as a first-time manager. Another reason not to be a manager is that people can act like children. <laughs> so I, I was once on this... <laughs> the child in all of us. <laughs> I was once on this little cheap day cruise in Halong Bay in North Vietnam, which is this um, world heritage site with cool rock formations. And I, I love that you're doing manager learnings 
in a world Her- world Her- heritage site. I just want to yes, call that out. Yes, you can learn a lot <laughs> when you have a couple hours just standing around talking to whoever else decided to go to Halong Bay. And so there was this woman who I think was in her 50s with her sister, and they were kind of doing their thing. And it turns out that she worked for, I believe, some type of health insurance company or something like that. Anyway, she managed a lot of people. And I said, well, how did you, how do you like it? She's like, I really can't stand it because <laughs> people oh, are like no. children. And they want me to do everything, and they complain about everything, and they're constantly just presenting me with things that they could solve themselves, and I have to tell them, I'm not your mother. I'm not your parent. No, I'm not going to do this for you. That can happen, too. So there are a lot of reasons to question this, and uh, we're, we're not actually intending to discourage people from being managers. Can Managers can do a lot of great stuff for the world and really help people do things and accomplish things on behalf of their employers um, and get the work done. And you actually might find it very fulfilling, but you want to know what you're getting into. I listen to this podcast sometimes called Happier in Hollywood, which is by these two women writing partners named Liz Craft and Sarah Fain. And somebody asked them, what advice do you have for somebody who wants to come and become a successful television writer in Hollywood as the two of you are? And they said, our first piece of advice is don't do it. Don't move to Hollywood and don't try to do this because it's so difficult and there's so many variables outside of your control that it's not really a very, um, in any way, a low-risk strategy. But what they really meant is that you got to really want it. you got to know what you're doing. So yeah. that's all we're saying here. Know what we're getting into it. So let's talk about what management is. A lot of ways to answer this question. I'm going to turn to one of my favorite guys. His name's Lindsay Holmwood. He's an engineering manager out of Australia and borrow a few of his words and the way he describes it. He says, as a manager, you exist to remove roadblocks and eliminate interruptions for the people you work with. He says, you exist to listen to people, not just hear them, to build relationships and trust, to deliver the bad news, like maybe the firing conversation you alluded to, Michael, and to resolve conflict in a just way. You exist to think about the bigger picture, to ask provoking and sometimes difficult questions and to relate the big picture back to something meaningful, tangible, and actionable to your team. He talks about it as a shift from taking your own actions and tracking them to your own individual output to actually being a multiplier for the people you're in charge with managing. Boom, Lindsay Homewood. Right, so that's a lot. That's that's heady stuff and it sounds kind of complicated and it sounds sort of like a higher calling, almost what... People have sometimes called servant leadership, where you're really thinking about how can I be of service to everybody else, as opposed to how do I just run everything. And I think many years ago, and maybe in the back of our heads, we think of managers as the people who make schedules and Gantt charts and organize stuff and say, you do this and you do that and check up on people. And I think that's part of it, but it's much more than that. How do you actually operationalize those things that Lindsay from Australia talked about? Well, there are a few things. The first is, as a manager, can I be aware that it's my job to set clear expectations? And these are expectations not only on what the team should be doing, but also how the team should be doing it. That's a piece that managers often overlook, which is it's not just deliver X product by X date. It's also, there might be some norms or expectations about how that work should be done, the degree of collaboration, the way in which we'll check in, sub milestones, things like that. But can I set clear expectations? And that's, I sort of look at that as one side of the main manager coin. On the other side, I know this is a topic we riff about a lot, is can I 
intervene with feedback as needed as those expectations are or are not met. So can I give the recognition and the praise and the encouragement and the appreciation when people are hitting those deadlines or going above and beyond or are bringing new insights into something? Can I simultaneously give the hard feedback, express the disappointment, the concern, the worry when those things aren't going according to plan or wrenches are inevitably flying into the process? So feedback is probably the thing that we most commonly do with groups of people because it's what is demanded. And organizations that have lots of feedback that's ongoing, that's pretty well given, are pretty healthy. And organizations that don't have much feedback or where it's done poorly or in just once a year tend to be very underdeveloped. And one of my colleagues, Hannah Hart, who is a coach in San Francisco, talks about three categories of feedback. The first is evaluative. So that's just saying, here's how you're doing. Um, Here's how you're doing compared to the goals we set. It's very tied to particular work product. And that's important Mm -hmm. because people don't always know or Mm -hmm. recognize it. Mm -hmm. The second is guidance. So that's where you're actually sharing how to do something better, differently from how somebody's doing or pointing out things they may not know. And the third is appreciation. It's a type of positive feedback. It's recognizing when people are doing well, explaining what's good about it, what the result is, and spending enough time that it's meaningful, not just a great job, pat on the back, keep it up, but really taking time to do it. And so we need all three of these in order to really function. And I think the role of the manager is that the manager, because he or she is somewhat removed from the the day-to-day, can offer more insight. And that person may also have just past experience that, that allows them to give useful feedback. Yeah, and the feedback's impact goes up the clearer we've been about the expectations in the first place, right? When we have that evaluative feedback moment, if we'd made it really clear at the beginning what successful performance looks like, what the numbers to hit are, then the evaluation conversation or the evaluative feedback becomes much more mutually understood and the odds of it going better go way up as opposed to somebody didn't realize there was a standard or there was an expectation clearly set and now all of a sudden they're being Uh, evaluated against it and they feel surprised, defensive, resistant. And you as a manager in that moment feel like you're, this job sucks or I'm failing at this, right? So that's why I sort of look at those as two sides of the same coin. Right. And then what makes management complicated is that tasks vary in importance and complexity, but people's capabilities vary according to what's going on. So it's not necessarily that people are either high performers or low performers. It's that as regards a particular task or set of activities, they may have different capabilities. So there's this model, well-known model called situational leadership. And one of the applications of it is you can make a sort of two-by-two matrix that um, reflect somebody's skill and somebody's will. So skill is their capabilities for doing something, and will is their essentially their level of motivation. And you might have high skill, low skill, high will, low will, and you essentially end up with four quadrants. So Mm -hmm. in one quadrant, you have people that are quite skilled and they're also quite motivated. So as a manager, you don't do a lot of telling. Your role is to be more of a coach. It's to ask them questions, um, powerful questions, as we talked about in the previous episode. How do you want to approach this? What would success look like for you? How would you like me to be involved? What resources do you need? How often should we meet and discuss this? Mm-hmm. Um, those are all very good questions for somebody who is essentially good at being a free agent. You're not totally divorcing yourself from responsibility, but you're not um, overly guiding them or 
micromanaging them. We have another category of people who we'd say are high will, low skill. So they want to do it, they're excited, they want to hit the ground running, but they just don't have the experience to get there. Mm-hmm. And in that role, you have to play much of more of a teaching function. You actually have to spend the time to explain, okay, let's go through how we did this in the previous transaction. Or let's look at this set of materials um, related to how you do sales pitches. Or why don't you come with me or with so-and-so and observe them. Now let's talk about what we saw. Because if you don't spend the time, if you don't make that investment, there's a chance that they could just sink rather than swim and um, not get a good result. Another category are where they have high skill, but they're low will. So they can do it, they just don't seem to want to. Mm. And when we teach this, I'll often ask audiences, okay, how could somebody be in this category without basically just being an asshole? <laughs> like, because if you mm-hmm. think about well, if you can do it, why don't you? <laughs> well, there could be a lot of reasons why people don't do things. They might not really understand why they're supposed to do it. They may not understand what the importance of something is. They may be really busy with other things that have very demanding stakeholders and they haven't yet figured out why this should take precedence. So in this case, you need to inquire and kind of explain a bit more about what the purpose is and what results would look like and what are they interested in and why did you pick them and really try to unlock what the motivation is. And then there's another category, we can call it low skill, low will, where you're going to be more directive. And it doesn't mean that people are dummies. It just means that they may not have the background or the current capability to do it or it's a type of emergency situation, a river high stick situation. So like if I'm on an airplane and the pilot conks out and they come and grab me and put me into the pilot's seat and I'm talking to ground control, I don't really want them asking me coaching questions like, well, Michael, how do you think you should land the plane? Um, <laughs> just tell me how to do it. Right. Just give direct instructions. And, you know, that's how they do it on all the TV shows about surgeons. Right. Scalpel. Lever. <laughs> Thing that breaks up with the chest. <laughs> Two by four. Two by four. Pads. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Drugs. Stat. You know, it's yeah. it's all very mechanical because there's no room for interpretation or error and it's appropriate. So the thing is, is that you've got to figure out for any given person and task, what is going to be the style I would use. And it makes it more complicated, but it also makes it a lot more fun because it turns out management is actually a highly creative activity. And yeah. in a way, you're kind of combination coach personal trainer, therapist, buddy, um, respected authority teacher, where you're bringing all that in to really help people grow and develop and kind of become better versions of themselves as they're they're getting work done. And I will also just share from personal experience, if you mess up your quadrants and you kind of use the wrong approach, uh, lots of bad things can come from that. (laughs) Totally, totally. What I really like about it is it touches on sort of the third area that I talked to the first time managers about in addition to setting clear expectations and working on feedback capabilities is this last bucket that we call support and advocacy and looking at this situational leadership matrix and having it give you a sense of, okay, how do, depending on where this person is, how do I best support them? How do I best advocate for their growth and development depending on what their capabilities are and what their motivation is. So I, I really like that. I haven't actually hadn't heard of that before. Enlightened. Let me ask you, Yes. what do you think is the single hardest thing or biggest challenge about being a manager? 
and I can also give my answer. Ooh. So you've got one ready. I got so one I've, ready. I've, so this is, I'm caught off guard, so I've got to really scramble to, to make this good. Or I could just go first. No, I got one. I got it. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm, I've, I've scrambled. You know me. I scramble in like three seconds. So I think the hardest thing about being a manager is managing our own mindset. And I think it's particularly when we're talking about transitioning into management for the first time, it's being able to still see ourselves as valuable and as contributing meaningfully despite the massively different role we're playing in the organization. And in fact, we might actually go from feeling like we were killing it six months ago in our individual contributor role and now all of a sudden, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm doing skill will matrices. This person's complaining. This person seems to be like continually failing no matter what I try. And it's this confronting our own sense of A, uncertainty, B, incompetence, C, controlling our own neuroses around needing to get this perfect and have control if that's us or needing to make everyone happy because everyone hates their boss or whatever that sort of assumption is that we've got going that we haven't yet unearthed for ourselves. It's actually making life quite challenging. So the, the thing that I, I do first with anybody who's making this transition for the first time is I spend a, a, an extended period of time actually digging into what sort of assumptions have you brought into work over the last phase of your career that have probably served you really well that now may actually get in your way in ways you might not expect and limit you in ways and limit your team in ways that actually make you worse as a manager. So that's what I think is most important is really being clear about your own inner world, your own assumptions and test being willing to test them and try new things as a manager, because it's a fundamentally different thing when you go to managing and nurturing and bringing along the careers of other people and, and the performance uh, than just being responsible for yourself. You have shed a lot. I have shed in the words of very much. Dr. Drawer, a therapist, Dr. Yes. Drawer Near, popular <laughs> to many people on this podcast. <laughs> yes, near and dear. All right. What do you have? What's your biggest thing? Biggest challenge? I think the hardest challenge of being a manager is speaking directly to people. Hmm. And it doesn't mean being a jerk. I mean, part of speaking directly in a way that can be heard is you have to sort of balance different aspects of your relationship with the communication. But people find it really hard to give difficult feedback, to deal with conflict, to actually say directly what's on their minds, to say it in a compact way so the other person can hear it. And we spend a huge amount of our lives just avoiding being straight with one another. Hmm. And I think the manager is a person that has just got to be direct and, and sort of know how to do it in a human way. So <laughs> a, a few years ago, I was in Yuma, Arizona, which, as we know, is a top travel destination. It is. A lot of my relatives are from that area. A national heritage site, I believe. Uh, well, there's a famous <laughs> prison, and my oh. mother's my mother's high school, Yuma High, their mascot, their, their team name was the Yuma Criminals. Oh. Fun fact. Anyway, so I was in a Denny's for breakfast, and you know, with my mother and relatives, and then at the next table, I was kind of listening to the conversation. And there seemed to be about six people who were really teenagers. I think they were probably 18, 19, 20, working. I'm not in college, but some kind of full-time job. And they appeared to be having a team meeting. And from their conversation, I gathered that they worked for some large retailer like Home Depot or JCPenney or something. And the funny thing is that 
even though they sounded and looked like teenagers, they were using this kind of grown-up managerial language that you could find in almost any soft skills training. <laughs> like, nice. So I told her, I'm hearing what you're saying, and I'm also saying you need to get the inventory done on time. Or this is not about me disrespecting your professionalism. It's about how you relate to other people and handle conflict. Wow. Or I know we have trust issues, but we also have to work together for the good of the team. And um, I was like really proud of them. I was really proud of them because they were, I mean, it, it sounds kind of from a manual, except that that stuff really works, as we know, because right. you're balancing what you need to convey with with the fact the other person's a human. But they were doing a better job at 19 or 20 than many people I've met from places like Cravath or Goldman Sachs or Google or Facebook or, you know, wow. large companies There's hope. Um, who, who haven't learned this stuff or taken the time or aren't willing to put themselves out there to um, try to do these. So these kids were good at communicating. And I, I think it's very hard to, to do that. It is. It is. So a next step for our listeners, go find somebody who you really respect, who's a manager, and take them to lunch. And the goal of the conversation is to ask them intentionally about what they've learned about what works as a manager for them over the course of their career. And to just listen really openly and take notes and to take at least one thing from what they suggest and try it out subsequently. One of the things people don't do often in this work is to seek actively seek, seek out the learning, training, and development that most of us need to do this successfully. So here's a, a very concrete, easy, hopefully fun first step to start pursuing that. What do you got? I think that's excellent. My suggestion is that you get together with a colleague or a team, if you have one, and you come up with one or two operating principles that you'd like to uh, pursue going forward. An example of an operating principle is every time we have a meeting, at the end of it, let's say two things that we did well in this meeting and two things that we could do better next time. Or let's sit down and talk about what kind of feedback we want to give each other on a regular basis and how we like getting feedback. Or since part of management is building strong relationships that are not purely transactional, come up with a plan for how you can continue building personal or team relationships outside of work. For instance, maybe once a month you'll get together for breakfast or drinks or something like that. So try those. I like it. It's about setting the how expectations, how we're going to do this work together. I totally dig. Hopefully our listeners do too. Michael, always great to chat with you, my friend. It's been too long. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yes. And listeners, feel free to write us and tell us either how you've decided to abandon any hopes of management forever based on our introduction or how you've doubled down and are going to help make the world better by being a great manager. Amen. All right. Talk to you again. Bye. See ya. Bye. Bye.